Hello and welcome to the Raw Podcast. I'm your host, James Copley, and I'm joined by Phil Smith for our fifth edition of our Mind Defining Sutherland Game series. This week, Bolo Zenden picks up a baton and recalls three magical moments from his two years on Wearside. Unfortunately, we couldn't get Bolo on the line, but his copy is with Phil. Um, the first game, Liverpool at home, October the 17th, 2009, better known as the Beach Bowl game. Phil, what did Bolo have to say about this particular game? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, it was obviously, it's, you know, the game's kind of notorious, isn't it? And I think, to be fair, it's one of the most famous goals in, in Premier League history. And one of those that kind of neutrals with no connection to Sunderland or Liverpool can probably picture in their heads. And but of course, Bolo, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a particularly special one, as he mentions here. Um, and he just says, the beach ball incident, exclamation mark, speaks for itself, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. A famous goal scored by Darren Bent. But it was also against my old teammates after I came back to the Premier League for my two-year spell at Olympic Marseille. At the time, I hadn't seen exactly what had happened, and it was only later that I realised that the goal should not have stood. I chatted with my old teammates, that's from Liverpool, after the game. They were disappointed, but OK. I still have contact with a lot of them. One of them is Pepe Reina, who still believes the goal should not have stood, and I suppose rightly so. I remember that we played really well in that game. And it was also the first time that Lorik Sarna played from the back. Lorik went to centre-half, for those that don't remember due to injuries. It suited him well, and I knew he would do the job as he played there on occasions when we were together at Marseille. Um, and it's just an, a story with loads of layers, particularly with Bolo, because obviously he'd been on trial, and he only actually signed the paperwork the day before. And it had been a little bit of a rush to get the, the paperwork through, so he'd be eligible for this game. Obviously, he's on the bench, probably doesn't think he's going to get on. Um, but then Sunderland had three injuries during the game, so he makes his debut in this in this incredible game, and obviously he stays, you know, in strong touch with Rafa Benitez because he rocks up alongside him at Chelsea in 2012 as his assistant manager. So it's one of those where we all kind of have our own memories of the game, and for Bolo it was a particularly bizarre one because this was actually his not just his Sunderland debut, but it was against a, a club that he kind of knew really well. It's an incredible day that, and. Although it is an iconic moment and it's a funny moment and it's one that we'll all remember and look back fondly on, Sunderland actually deserved to win that day. Yeah, I think that's one of the big things for me about the game, actually, is that one of the, obviously, you know, an incident like that's always going to dominate discussion. But for me, this is one of the best games I can ever remember Sunderland playing. And they didn't fluke out on a beach ball goal and nick a 1-0 win. They, you know, they, they were absolutely outstanding that day and fully deserved the win. And as you say, Lorik Sala coming on for an injured George McCarthy. So even the adversity that was thrown at Sunderland that day seemed to work in our favour. Yeah, I, and I think obviously when you kind of go back and revisit the game, there's little bits that you don't really remember from the time. And I had forgotten that Gerard and Torres were injured. And this was obviously the season after Liverpool had finished second. They thumped Man United 4-1 and it looked like they were going to go and win the title that year. And Gerard and Torres are obviously there the elite players in that team. I think they sold Zabi Alonso that summer as well. So you look at their 11 and you look at Sunderland's 11 and actually now looking back, you do think, well, do you know what? Pound for pound, Sunderland had as good a team that day, um, which is kind of an incredible thing to think about. But even so, you know, you don't expect Sunderland to beat Liverpool, but they were brilliant. You know, Darren Bent, yeah, he gets a bit of luck with that goal, but I remember him going close twice during the game. Mal Bronk had a brilliant chance that he sort of scored. And defensively, honestly, I, I still maintain to this day, Lorik San obviously played in midfield in the first half alongside Catamull, drops better centre-back. And I maintain to this day that is the best 45 minutes I have ever seen 
from a Sunderland player. I mean, I'm 27, so I don't go back too long. But in my <laughs> lifetime, that's the best 45 minutes I've ever seen. He was absolutely unbelievable. Heading it away, kicking it away. He was absolutely, he was possessed. It was the best Asana. Um, and I just have such, that's my actually, not even the beach ball goal. My overriding memory is just Asana heading and kicking anything that came in a one mile radius of him. Um, he, was, <laughs> he was brilliant. And if I remember rightly, they tried to repeat the trick and put the centre off a few weeks later. I think it might have been against Chelsea. Someone listening might be able to correct me. But he had an absolute shocker, an absolute <laughs> disaster of a game, and they never tried it again. So maybe it was just something in the air that day. But it's just incredible because one of the things that reading back about this game that kind of really struck me was that Pepe Rain is the only player who actually knows what's happened. Mm. Glenn, Glenn Johnson is the player who is inches away from it. He has no idea he struck the beach ball. Jamie Carragher went on to admit he had no idea what had happened. It was just complete chaos. Obviously, everybody knew that some form of deflection had happened, but nobody knew that it hit this beach ball. And I have to say, I think this is Steve Bruce's post-match comments. I'm going to get them up here. Are just absolutely sensational. Um, and probably, <laughs> to be honest, I thought a lot of his post-match press conference you know, comments when he was Sunderland manager weren't particularly great and caused him more issues than he needed. But these ones were brilliant. He says, anyone who knew that role, you are a saddo. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went on to say, apparently the beach ball came on and was covered in a Liverpool crest. What a shame. <laughs> I, I remember Liverpool fans being particularly on strings by this as well because it was obviously 2009. The internet was uh, was in full flow and there was social media was cropping up all over the place. And I remember this just being such a contentious issue. And it was one of those kind of, as a Sutherland fan at the time, being about 14 years old that I was, I remember getting a bit of joy that like little old Sunderland had managed to to mug Liverpool off in, in such a in such a big way. Yeah, and um I mean what I would say is that I think um again, you know, there was that kind of, I felt that's kind of slight disappointment that maybe the you know the game became defined by that incident rather than actually a pretty excellent Sunderland performance. But you know, it is just one of those I mean it's gotta be up there in the kind of top ten most memorable moments at the stadium of light, I think, just because of what I came to represent, and even now, every year it comes around, all the nationals are doing their big kind of remember when pieces, and just an unbelievable <laughs> little slice of something in history. And like I say, one that I remember fondly because I probably remember it as the peak of that, you know, that that early season, Sana, Catamol, that bizarre but brilliant axis that you still can't quite believe happened. Mm. Um, yeah, just uh, that was a really exciting time, and that was probably the peak of it, really. You know, there was pretty much a full house because Sunderland were playing so well. The atmosphere was electric. Darren Bent was flying. Um, yeah, a really exciting time. And Bolo's arrival, really, a player of, of his stature and his experience in the game, even if he was kind of into his 30s, it just added to that sense you had at the time. This was a club, you know, that was going places, that, that was ambitious. And the fact that they finished this day by climbing above Liverpool in the table you know, that kind of sums it up, really. And you talk about um, Bolo's experience. And I knew he was experienced and I knew he was a good player and I knew he'd played for good teams, PSV, Barcelona, Chelsea, um, Middlesbrough, when they were winning things at Liverpool. And then I had a look back and obviously he played for the Dutch national team. I had a look back and I started with PSV and I looked at all of the players that Bolo's ending with played with, has played with it, and it is ridiculous. I'll start at PSV. I'll, I'll rattle through them pretty quickly. So you've got Luke Nillis, Yapstam, Philip Koku, a young Ronaldo de Lima, Idega Johnson, 
Then you move to Barcelona. You've got Luis Figo, Giovanni, Emmanuel Petit, Pep Guardiola, Mark Overmars, Rivaldo, Frank and Ronald DeBoer, Patrick Clivert, Luis Enrique, a young Xavi Hernandez, Yari Lippmann, Carlos Puyol, Semayo, the um, Portuguese centre midfielder, a young Pepe Reina. Then he moves to Chelsea. You've got Marcel Desailly, Frank Lampard, Hasselbank, Galas, Lasso, Zola and Terry. Even at Borough, he plays with Southgate, Janino, Ray Parler and Mark Viduka. He gets to Liverpool and he's turning out with Jersey Dudek, Sammy Hippier, Harry Kuehl, John Anarisa, Steven Gerrard, Xavi Alonso, Robbie Fowler and Didi Haman, Jamie Carragher and Fernando Morientes. And with Holland, he played with the likes of Van der Sar, Edgar Davids, Seedorf, Van Bronckhurst, Bergkamp, Van Nistelrooy, Van der Vaart, Schneider, Robin. I could go on. He played at the 1998 World Cup, uh, Euro 2000, Euro 2004. That's all before he reaches Sunderland. I mean, we were discussing this before we started recording the podcast, but has there ever been a Sunderland player that has played with that many good players before? I think, in, I think that's one of the reasons why I think that, you know, there's reason that Bolo to me is kind of a, he's probably more fondly remembered than a, than a player who played for two seasons, mostly off the bench normally would be. And, and I think part of the reason is because as we'll go on too soon, you know, because of a couple of big, big moments that I think everyone still loves to recall, but also because I think he, because of that experience, because of his stature in the game, he had a bit of an aura about him in the way he carried himself. And I think he was just, it was so obvious to everyone all of the time that his levels of professionalism and dedication were just of another level. Um, and I think, you know, that's testament because you don't play for that number of clubs and at that level internationally over such a long period of time without such an unbelievable dedication. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why he's remembered not just fondly, but with such a huge amount of respect because this was the guy who, He's played with all these players that you mentioned. He's into his 30s, and yet he was probably, I think everyone would say, one of the fittest members of that squad. He always put it in, even when he was coming off the bench, and he might have been frustrated that he was not getting in the team. Um, and ultimately could have gone on to play for another couple of years, but decided he didn't want to because ultimately he wasn't getting the minutes he wanted, and I don't think he felt the club had the ambition that he wanted. And I think that's one of the reasons why we recall him so fondly, because... Because he had that attitude, not of he wasn't coming to Sunderland for a paycheck at the end of his career. He brought that same professionalism and attitude that he'd had at Barcelona, Liverpool, PS, um, Ajax, all these teams. And I think that's kind of why we remember him as, as, as such a such a good figure in in the club's history. That's the thing as well. He's he's fondly remembered wherever he's played, even even Marseille and, and Barca, PSV, Chelsea, Borough. Obviously, he scored quite a few important goals for Borough and, and Liverpool. He's, you know, it's hard to find a, a bad word said about him. And talking of uh, Zenden's status as a, a top-level European player, his second moment came at home at the Stadium of Light against Tottenham Hotspur, April 3rd, 2010. I mean, this is a goal that probably doesn't need much description, but I'll, I'll hand it over to you, Phil, because, uh, I mean, what, what a strike. Well, this is the goal that I think people don't have to go back and watch. Any Sunderland fan can tell you it from pretty much from start to finish, and that's what I love about it. But anyway, well, yeah, but well, it says it was a, it was a particularly special game for me because my family were actually present at this game. I remember it was a game that we should have won anyway, but my goal made the difference and really put it to bed. We really did deserve the win. I always practice my volleys, but you never quite know how it works out in the game. Practice makes perfect, I suppose. When it comes to you in such a sweet way, you just have to give it a go. 
which I think is the most beautiful understatement of one of the best volleys I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, that that is one of the most aesthetically pleasing goals I've ever seen. Even the cross-in is brilliant. I think, is it Henderson who puts the cross-in? It is Henderson, yeah. Do you know what? It's actually brilliant, and I would urge Olsen and fans to do it. You can actually, someone, uh, I'm not sure whether I should really be um, bringing this to wider attention, but someone has recorded <laughs> the, um, the match of the day um, package for this game, and it's on YouTube. Um, one, it's brilliant because it just reminds you how ridiculous this game was. I mean, it mm. was an um, it was a ridiculous game of football. But two, there's actually a chance just moments before Zenden's goal, where he has one cleared off the line from Kabul. Henderson does brilliantly in the build up to that. Then, and Guy Mowbray actually says, you know, wow, this Jordan Henderson, 19 years old, he looks like a real prospect. Um, which is nice to kind of listen back to now because. It didn't always seem like, you know, Henderson used to get the stick at times and it didn't mm. always seem like he would go on to be, a you know, the player he is now. Um, and there's actually, a, I love watching the goal back from start to finish because there's little things that you don't remember at the time. First is the hold-up play from Kenwin Jones is brilliant. It's a pretty aimless long ball fired into him. He's got two defenders on him and he manages to hold it up and wriggle out and play the pass. And you can hear when Henderson advances towards goal, there's a real frustration that he doesn't shoot. You can hear a real murmuring, but instead he pops that little pass to Campbell, goes on the overlap, and like I say, stands up this brilliant cross to the back post. But even then, you know, you've got no right to score from there. You've got absolutely no right to stick that in the top corner. I just remember and the the catharsis of that goal is what makes it, not just the quality of the strike, because if we remember this game, Sunderland batted Tottenham. Mm. went 2-0 up, Bent misses two penalties. Anton Ferdinand scores, starts doing his Michael Jackson dance before he realises <laughs> that it's been disallowed for a foul. And then I remember the thing that really sticks in my mind from this game is how Redknapp brings off Pavlyuchenko and he puts on Peter Crouch. Crouch obviously scores, but just generally suddenly couldn't handle him. He was tremendous. He completely mm. transformed the game. And there was that sense of, we're not going to win this. You know, we've had our chances to put it to bed. Tottenham have sorted themselves out. This feels inevitable. So then to go up the other end and score a goal of that quality to really put the crown in, you know, the icing on what was a brilliant performance, I think that adds to it. You know, it's almost a bit like the G goal. The G goal is incredible in its own mm. right, but you have to put it in the context of the game before, which really gives it this kind of unbelievable exhilaration. I think that's why this goal, it's not just the fact that it's an amazing volley from a popular player. When you put it in the context of that game, like we've just mentioned, it takes on just a completely different dimension. And I think most fans, certainly of our generation, James, would put this up there as, as one of their favourite goals. I know I certainly do. Yeah, and, and one of my favourite games, I think, as well, obviously, the, the two, bent, two bent miss penalties. And as you say, it's always a very Sunderland feeling. You, you play extremely well, but inevitably, you've always got that thing in the back of the mind that you, you're going to get pegged back because that's Sunderland and... You know that, that's kind of what we do. So when Crouch scores, it's a bit, it's a bit nervy. You think we should have yeah. put this to bed, and then he he scores that goal, which as you you know so meticulously described, the build-up play was brilliant. A young Henderson on the right, who you you're quite right, did used to get a bit of stick for similar things that he's he's gotten stick for over the years. Maybe not yeah. passing it forward, not being as positive, but I mean, who can dispute his quality now? But I remember that time as well. It was just. It was a, a good Sutherland squad that looking at the team from that day. You had Gordon, who was a phenomenal goalkeeper on his day, yeah. but abs- absolutely brilliant. It's just such a shame injuries hampered his Sutherland career. Michael Turner, who was it was very solid. We always used to joke, me and my uncle, when we were at the match, everything just used to hit Turner's head and bounce 
to the halfway line for a period of six months. It was absolutely fantastic. He was, um, I think he's a bit underrated, really. Anton Ferdinand did well for a, a long time. Kieran Richardson, great server. De Silva didn't really work out, but, you know, he, he did have a, a run on the side. Malbronk, Zenden replaced Malbronk on 78 minutes. Henderson, Myler, another player who, was, who looked really decent and when he was in the Sunderland team, played really well. It's just a shame that he was hampered mm. so badly with injuries. Catamull, kind of prime Catamull then, really, a, a really kind of nasty, bitey Catamull at, at that point. Uh, Fraser Campbell, again, before the injury, so lots of pace. Phil Bardsley came on for, for Campbell to shoot up the back line and, I mean, what a servant Phil Bardsley was for the club. Darren Bent, goal scoring. Kenwin Jones, another great servant. And then on the bench, you had the likes of, um, well, it was it was a pretty weak bench, actually. You had Kilgallen, Little, Carson, and Benjani, who I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten Benjani even played for us. Benjani, man. <laughs> Benjani, honestly, honest to God, he would come on for two minutes at the end of a game and get caught offside about five times. He was absolutely <laughs> baffling. I've just got, you know, it, it's funny how, you know, when you, go, when you go to watch football and the years pass and obviously you miss you lose so much from individual games in your memory and you just mm. you kind of don't know whether you can trust your memory a little bit um but all i can remember of benjani is him just coming on for these short cameos and just constantly being offside all of the time <laughs> it was, yeah. and you know what someone might go in the stats and say that's actually complete nonsense it didn't happen but that's just in my head when i hear benjani yeah. i'm just sitting up in the premier concourse and i can just see the linesman's flag going up and just thinking oh my god um yeah, that's a that's a negative slant on what you're right. You say it was a it was a good squad, and, and as we move forward into the next game, it was one that only actually kind of got better that next season into what mm. was a good season, but also surely has to be one of the club's kind of biggest missed opportunities as well. I think actually. Yeah, so the third game is West Ham away, final day of the 2010-2011 season. May the 22nd, Sunderland were already safe, West Ham were already relegated, but there was a little bit of needle on the line because Sunderland knew if they got a result in Newcastle didn't, that they would finish above them. So it was important Sunderland win that day and uh, boy, did they do that. Yeah, and actually it was, you know, I was, I think probably a lot of people, um, you know, when I first asked Bolo to pick his games, I expected the Chelsea game to be in there because um, obviously everyone remembers the dance and what have you. But <laughs> so when he first when he first picked this game, I was a little bit surprised. But then you know when he explains his logic, it becomes a little bit more clear. So as he says, he, he scored the opening goal with a header in what turned out to be his last game as a professional player. Although I didn't know that at the time, I'd started the game as captain, and by winning, we finished the league in tenth position. That meant it was a, a really good mood after the game and, and a day we really enjoyed. I'd already known it would be my last game for the club as I decided to leave, but I didn't know it was going to be my last game as a professional. As it happened, I never came to signing a new deal with a new club and ended up starting my coaching career as assistant manager to Benitez at Chelsea in 2012. So, I guess a little bit of a, a bit of sweet memory for him, you know, one that, um, in, a, in a way, it was, it was the perfect way to bow out. He scored a goal, Sunderland won to finish 10th. He was captain. Um, but obviously, he kind of, He'd already made that decision to, to move on um, and, and join join a new club, which as it happened, didn't happen. But I think he felt he should have played more that season. I'm not sure he felt club kind of matched his ambitions. And, and when I was leafing back through to kind of study this game, I, I found these um, quotes from none other than, than, than Bruce. Um, because obviously, as you can imagine, having scored a brilliant header. And it's this is another underrated goal. It's actually, I couldn't find many of the highlights in this game, but... There is a clip of Zenden scoring this goal. Perfect cross from El Mohamedy. Um, and he's actually only just inside the box where he heads it from. So it's a great header. 
anyway, Bruce was asked after the game about Zenden's decision to leave and he said, I can understand we've all been there. There's one thing I can't offer him and that's a guaranteed place. Maybe I should have played a more during the horrible run we had, but up until January there was no room for him as we were playing well. He's a great pro and I wish him well. Yeah, I, th- I think that just uh, that just sums his, uh, Zenden's kind of Sunderland tenure up and looking back on that side with, uh, with a lot of fondness as well, the, the side that Started that day against West Ham. You had Mignolet was in there. Anua was in there. Obviously, he scored the famous goal. Colback was coming through. El Mahamadi at the time was was decent. Sessegnon, who I just loved at the time when he first signed. I remember, I think we signed him in January. And we'd beaten, we'd beaten Chelsea the time before we'd played them. And I think we signed him in, we signed Sessegnon in the January. And he played against Chelsea. And it was a ridiculous game. I think it was like 4-2 or something like that. And, and Sessegnon played really well in that and I remember thinking, like at the time, that Bruce really had a had a hold of where we were going and what we were doing, and and the club was going to really kick on. Obviously, that result pushed pushed us into tenth position, and it all kind of um, it all kind of felt and looked well. And it's a, it's a kind of a shame, really. That uh, I mean, looking back at it with some regrets, and having finished higher than tenth since. And this is what year was this? Twenty uh, eleven. Um, well, that's uh, it's a depressing thought, maybe, but um, yeah, I, I look back on um, Zenden's time with a with a lot of fondness. It, actually, since we're on lockdown and because we can, I'll, I'll throw a kind of a football manager analogy into the list because it's it's what I was doing before we start this podcast, and it's what I'll be doing after. But he feels like one of those really good signings on football manager that you get on a free. He's a he's an ex pro, old name, probably on you know big wages, and you're kind of thinking, oh. What have I done signing him? I should have signed somebody a bit younger. And it just turns out that he's absolutely wonderful impact sort of off the bench. He has a couple of seasons and then you let him go and you kind of always uh, always remember him and he's a name that sticks with you. And I think that kind of sums up how he'll be seen on Sunderland that he was a model pro, really. Yeah, I think, I think that's it. And like I said before, I think the reason why he was so popular is because he brought that kind of elite attitude to Sunderland rather than, you know, a lot of players that we've seen who kind of, always felt like they saw it as a step down and you're right and I think this season it's one of those where kind of you look at it and think great finish 10th it was a big missed opportunity because obviously they've been sixth in January mm. um you know the the power and the quality they had in that squad was unbelievable and this that was my favorite team one of my favorite teams to watch I remember a ridiculous game against Blackpool when Ben Jant and Welbeck all started. Sunderland lost 1-0, but I've honestly rarely seen Sunderland play more exciting football. Richard Kingston. Um, yeah, it was just, they had something like 33 shots on target or something. Just ridiculous game. But yeah, I remember it just being such an exciting team to watch. Um, yeah, so this season definitely is one that I remember fondly, but you also have that tinge of regret that really it's it's very much the end of Sunderland's kind of upwardly mobile spell from then on it's it's all about kind of clinging on every season um you know needless it's obvious now that they would have been better off if they'd been able to to get Zenden to stay but such was his attitude that he was never going to settle for being a, a bench player in a in a lower mid-table Premier League team and that was what made him the player he was and and, and that's why in a lot of ways he was so popular when he was here and he's still coaching now isn't he Zenden? Yeah, he's he's at PSV at the moment, um, as kind of a temporary assistant. They sacked the manager early in the season, so yeah, and he's always going to be someone who has huge opportunities coaching wise because of that experience, because of that attitude. But I get the impression he's someone with a lot of other interests as well outside the game. So it'll be interesting to see how he 
how he fares, but needless to say, we'd, we'd have him back at Sunderland any any day he likes. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you, Phil, for uh, for another great podcast. Thanks to the listener for joining us. We hope that you've enjoyed it. Um, you can subscribe on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, and all of the rest of the podcast platforms are on Facebook, Twitter, and the rest of them. Thank you very much for listening.